Well, we're in this series of messages called Living by Faith. I want to encourage you to pull out your message outline as uh, we go through this together. And what we're doing is we're looking at the life and faith of Moses. We've been doing this for the last four weeks. And as we've seen over these last four weeks, we have seen much really about uh, studying the, the life and the faith of Moses, seeing some of the aspects of his life. And, um, and, and Moses is one of the great men of faith in the Old Testament. And the great thing about that is, is that the Bible wants to teach us uh, some important principles to live by. Now this morning, I want to talk about something we all face at times in life, and that is disappointment. I often talk with people who are disappointed, who are discouraged, and they're ready to throw in the towel very often. Uh, they're at the end of their rope. They're ready to give up. And very often they are disappointed, disappointed over a lot of things. And some people will say to me, do you know what? There is just so much bad in the world right now. Well, I hate to tell you this, but there has always been so much bad in the world. Uh, it's not like it's worse. It's always been bad because the Bible tells us that God gives us a free choice. And often we choose not to follow what he says to do. That's both globally, nationally, and for us as individuals in our lives. And the Bible calls that sin and evil. And so people get disappointed. It's a fact of life. And we often get disappointed at times in our life. Now, I don't know what's disappointing you. Maybe that's something you're facing right now. Maybe that's something around the corner. I don't know. But the danger is this. If you allow disappointment to get hold of you, it will lead you down a path of discouragement. And discouragement can be quite debilitating because it can cause you to give up trying, it can cause you to give up hoping, give up caring. When we get discouraged, we can even give up believing. Now the good news is that the Bible has a lot to say about disappointment. In fact, in the life of Moses, he had to face disappointment many, many times throughout his life. And in Exodus 15 and the story of the bitter waters at Marah, we see something really fascinating here. We see this whole area of disappointment and we in fact see three facts of life that we need to be prepared for in order to deal with disappointment. Here's the first one. Great successes in life are often followed by failure. Now Moses, as I said, is an authority on how to deal with disappointment. No one put up with more complaining or lack of appreciation than poor old Moses. I mean, I think it was a favourite pastime of the Israelites. To, they love to complain and criticise. It's like their hobby, I think. And the Bible says is that the reason it took them 40 years to get to the promised land, uh, God gave them multiple chances to go in, but they were full of unbelief. They would complain and they would criticise and they would moan. And God would say, all right then, one more lap around the desert until you get this right. They did that for 40 years in the desert. And many died because they were complainers. They were quick to criticise their leader, Moses. And all through the book of Exodus, they question his motives, they doubt his decisions, they challenge his leadership. And they say, in effect, to him, they say, well, look, you brought us here to die. And Moses says, is this the thanks that I get? I mean, I've led you out of Egypt, I'm leading you to the promised land, and all you can do is criticise and judge me, be upset and be critical. And in this particular incident, we have another example of the Israelites being upset because there was a water problem. In fact, in Exodus, there were three water problems. The first water problem was in chapter 14 that we looked at last week, where there was too much water when they came to the Red Sea. 
The second water problem was as they were coming through the desert, there was no water. They, they went from too much to not enough. Thirdly, here in this chapter, they got water, but it was bitter. Look what happened, verse 22, 23. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Marah means bitter. Here's this distasteful experience, and it's no small problem. Moses very likely had three million thirsty people and one million thirsty animals. So he's got a major problem here on his hands, isn't he? Now, why do I say great successes are often followed by failure? Well, it says here that it was only three days earlier that they had had that Red Sea victory. In the very first part of this chapter that we read earlier on, they're singing a song of praise and, and everybody's jumping up and down and thanking God and, and there's just this victory of celebration. It's enormous. They're having a great time, great success. But very often great successes are often followed by failure. They had the victory at the Red Sea and three days later they've got a problem. And so often the Red Sea experiences of life are often followed by the Mara experiences. Later on, entering into Canaan, they had this tremendous victory at Jericho where they went out and they marched around the walls seven times for seven days and the walls came tumbling down. Here was a major victory. On paper, there was no way they were going to win, but this major city and they had this victory. The very next week, Joshua sends out a small band to go conquer a little small town of Ai, which was nothing. And he chose to just send out a small battalion. But they got beaten at Ai. And Joshua comes back and he lies down on the ground and he's weeping for God. And he says, did you bring us out here just to embarrass us? And God says, no, Joshua. There's a time to pray and there's a time to act. Get up and get sin out of the camp. And that was the issue. They lost because there was sin the, amongst the Israelites. The point is this, after the big Jerichos come the eyes. After every major success in life, we need to be aware that there can sometimes become, become a failure. After every mountaintop experience, there is the valley, isn't there? And it's at that time we can get discouraged. And we've got to watch out for Amara. Now, the question, therefore, then, is, is, well, what is Amara in your life? Well, it's anything that is distasteful, that is bitter, that is uncomfortable, it's disappointing to you, upsetting to you. Now, typically, there are three sources of disappointment. Let me show them to you. Disappointment, first of all, disappointment with things. There are a few things in life that are as good as they appear on the adverts, isn't it? Have you found that? Once you get them, they're not that great, are they? I remember as a kid, I don't know if you remember this, some of you will, I remember as a kid that um, I'd see these prizes on the cereal boxes and uh, it would be brilliant to get that. And as a kind of a kid, you think, wow. And, and so you, you, you buy this box of cereal and you collect these tokens and eventually you'd have enough tokens. You'd been eating something like muesli for six months straight or something like that, you know? just to get these tokens. And then you'd send off these tokens to get the prize, and then you'd get it, and it was one-tenth of the size. Rubbish. Very disappointing. I don't think I've even got over it yet. <laughs> but it was like that, wasn't it? No way it looked like it was presented in the advert. But we all know that, don't we? Things will disappoint us. 
Secondly, we have disappointment with events. Things turn out wrong. Experiences aren't what they're cracked up to be. Sometimes they just don't happen. We, we get something gets cancelled or, or we're blown out from something. Events let us down. Maybe it's a movie or a football game. Maybe a special meal that you'd planned. Even events at church can let you down. But by far the greatest source of disappointment, thirdly, is people. People will let us down. They cop out, they betray us, they criticise, they're disloyal, they don't fulfil a promise. That's the most common type of disappointment, isn't it? When you've tried hard to help somebody and they're ungrateful, that's the most, that's the most kind of difficult kind of disappointment to deal with, isn't it? They say things to you, well, what have you done for me lately? And what is worse, they criticise you for the effort that you made to try and help them. Now Moses was a pro for knowing how to deal with these kinds of things. He understood that great successes in life are often followed by failure. You're going to have Maras in your life. So the question then is, why does God lead us to Maras? Well in verses 25 to 26 it tells us, There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Israelites, on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Notice that? God allows Maras in our lives in order to test us. God had just brought them out through this great experience, this great rescue through the Red Sea, and then immediately, three days later, they are without water and they're in a bitter experience. And God allowed the Mara experience to check their reaction. Do they really trust me? And God allowed the Mara experience to test them. Now, it doesn't say that about the Red Sea experience, but I only hear about the Mara experience. Because the fact is this, our character is not tested in the great spectacular successes of life. Our character is tested in the daily irritations, isn't it? See, the difference between the Red Sea and Mara is that God's character was revealed at the Red Sea, but man's character, the Israelites' character, was revealed at Mara. And disappointments, how we handle that, says a lot about us. It actually tells us what's inside of us what our reactions are, what our motivations are. And Israel's response was to complain and to moan and to grumble and to criticise their leader. They were incredibly immature. You see, disappointments always reveal more about us than they do about the circumstance that we're in. So the first thing we need to be prepared for is that in the great successes of life, they're often followed by failure. They often come on the heels of a Red Sea. But secondly, great service in life is often followed by forgetfulness. Not only are we to be prepared for failure after great successes, but also great service in life is often followed by forgetfulness. Look at verse 24. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? I don't know about you, but it always amazes me how short a short memory Israel had. It's just three days after the Red Sea miracle where they saw God at work in an incredible way and at the very first sign of trouble, they're already doubting and criticising. What have you done for us lately, Moses? And at the very first sign of trouble, they're complaining and they're criticising, they're moaning, they're grumbling, they're murmuring. 
Their motto was, when in doubt, grumble against Moses. And that was one of the reasons that kept them out of the promised land, as I said. One minute, Moses is the hero, and the next minute, he's a zero. And that's true in life, isn't it? The greatest service when we serve other people is often followed by forgetfulness. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing how quickly people forget what you've done for them, how you've given for them, how you've served them, how you've helped them. Children forget what their parents have done for them. Bosses forget what their employees have done for them. Spouses take each other for granted. Church members take their pastor for granted. In fact, it's a fact of life. In fact, a university did a study that the average homemaker in a lifetime, get this, will prepare 35,000 meals and make 40,000 beds. Now, I wonder how many times they were thanked for doing those things. We take it for granted. We take people for granted. It's a fact of life that great service is often followed by forgetfulness. So what do you do then when you're being forgotten? What do you do when you've given and you've served and you've helped other people and then people just take you for granted? See, Moses gives us an example of three things not to do and two things to do. What do you not do if you're disappointed? Well, first of all, don't curse it. That's the first thing. Don't retaliate. Don't get revenge. When people don't appreciate you, when they've disappointed you, when they've let you down, you don't strike back because the typical reaction of most of us, or for Moses, would be, well, you guys can forget it. I mean, I led you through the Red Sea. You're free. You're now out of Egypt. If that's the way you're going to treat me, well, you can forget it. Good luck finding your way back to Egypt. I'm going on to the Promised Land. Thank you very much. This is the question we need to ask ourselves. What do you do when you're offended? Do you sit around and do invent ways in which you can get your own back? Sometimes, have you found this? Sometimes we're at our most creative when we're offended, aren't we? It's amazing what kind of ways we can get, we can think of ways of getting back at people, isn't it? We can be extremely ingenious at ways of kind of getting revenge. The fact is, when you retaliate against other people, then God stops acting on your behalf. You have to leave it in God's hands. Don't curse it. Let God settle the score. Because when you retaliate, God basically says to us, well, go ahead then, good luck with that, try it on your own. But when you let God settle the score, then you're being well represented. It's interesting, in Romans 12, verse 14, Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now, the opposite of blessing is cursing. Bless those who persecute you means speak positively to those who are speaking negatively about you. Build up those who are tearing you down. Now, that's not easy, but that's what we're told to do here. Encourage those who are discouraging you. See, Moses didn't curse them. I mean, he could have done. He could have said, just forget it. But he didn't curse them. Secondly, don't rehearse it. Don't curse it and don't rehearse it. Job 5 verse 2 says, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish thing to do. Resentment is one of the great killers of spiritual growth because when, you, when you've got resentment, you're focusing on the past on the present and not the future. Ephesians 4.31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, anger, slander, along with every form of malice. 
Don't rehearse it. Every time you review a hurt when someone has hurt you, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. If somebody offers a word of criticism, that does hurt. And if you keep thinking about it, pretty soon you think the whole world is against you and it gets blown all out of proportion. It gets magnified every time you rehearse a hurt. And therefore, thirdly, don't nurse it. Because that's what can happen. We, we kind of, we nurse it, we dwell on it. We, in other words, don't take it personally. Don't have a pity party. Don't allow it to make you negative. Now Moses could have done this, but he, again, he didn't. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says this, Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, let's clarify this. It is okay to be angry. Anger is a legitimate response to hurt. But the Bible says when we hold on to our anger, it becomes a sin because anger held on to becomes bitterness. Anger stored up becomes resentment and that is always wrong. Don't allow it to make you negative. Job 18.4 says, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. Now, maybe you've had a tough week. Maybe a tough month, I don't know. You've been disappointed. You've had some experiences where you feel like you're the victim. You've been hurt. Maybe some of you are continuing to allow people to hurt you from your past. And you're allowing your past hurts to affect you in the present. Can I say that with all pastoral care and sensitivity? That's just stupid. They can no longer hurt you unless you choose to hang on to that hurt. Instead say, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm going to let go of it. I'm not going to rehearse it. I'm not going to nurse it. And I'm certainly not going to curse it. And any time I'm angry at somebody who's disappointed me, the Bible says I'm actually only hurting myself. It doesn't change the situation. It can't reverse the past. It can't make any difference. It just makes me upset. And it's human nature to draw into a hard protective shell when you're hurt, isn't it? And the Bible says, don't do that. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine Jesus returning to heaven ahead of schedule and the angel say to him, Jesus, you're, you're back home early. You're back home ahead of schedule. And Jesus turned around saying, well, I'm sorry, but I, I had a bad experience down there on earth. They didn't appreciate me. They were very ungrateful for the things that I was doing. So I decided to pack up my bags early and come home. Jesus didn't do that. Aren't you, aren't you thankful that he didn't do that? You see, if you take disappointment personally, you're going to become cynical. You cannot curse it, you cannot rehearse it, you cannot nurse it. Otherwise, as I said, you become cynical. So what do you do? What do you do when you're disappointed? Well, first of all, you disperse it. That's where you start, and that's what Moses did. Verse 24, 25. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, Moses didn't cry out to the people. You notice that. He didn't take his frustration out on the people. No, he took his frustration to the Lord. Don't take it out on people. Talk it out with the Lord. That's the key to disappointment. Moses cried out to the Lord. Disperse your hurt. Give it to God. Let it go. Don't hang on to it. 
instead of Moses holding a pity party, instead of gossiping to Aaron about it all, lining up people all on his side, he prayed about it and he told God about it. He did what 1 Peter 5, 7 says to do. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Give it to the Lord. Disperse it. Secondly, let God reverse it. In other words, let God handle it. He can take it and turn it around because God is the master of reversing hurts. Now, a good example of that in the Old Testament is uh, uh, Joseph. Joseph is where his brother sold him into slavery. And you know, if there's anybody in the Bible who had a right to be bitter, it was Joseph, wasn't it? I mean, Joseph had this dream as a young man. His brothers didn't like his dream, so they got hold of him and they threw him in a pit and they started to kill him. And then they said, no, hang on a minute. We'll sell him into slavery and we'll make a bit of money out of him. Well, he's sold into slavery. He's then falsely accused of rape. He's put in jail. And for the first 40 years of Joseph's life, it is all downhill the whole way. Now, if anybody had the right to be bitter, it was Joseph. But later, he had a chance to retaliate against his brothers. The circumstances had changed. He's now the second in charge of all of, of the known world, as it were, particularly in Egypt. And they came to him asking him for help because there was a famine. And he had a chance to blow them away, as it were, to retaliate. But in Genesis 50, verse 20, 20 years later, this is what he says. You intended to harm me, for, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He had so many reasons, every reason to be resentful and disappointed in other people, but he wasn't. He said, God meant it for good, even when you meant it for bad. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and in other verses, that nothing comes into the life of a child of God without the Heavenly Father's permission. And we may struggle with understanding that, but that is the reality. No experience in life can come in that is not father-filtered if you're a Christian. God allows situations in our life, even when we don't understand why. The delays are there because God has allowed that delay. The difficulties are there because God has allowed that difficulty. The disappointment is there is because God has allowed that disappointment. The discouraging situations are there because God has allowed it. See it like this. Disappointment really becomes his appointment and it becomes an issue of, am I really going to trust God in this? Or am I just going to grumble? Am I going to complain like the Israelites did and then they ended up, most of them, dying in the desert? Or am I going to trust God? Even when I don't understand, even when I don't know the end from the beginning, even when I'm really confused, am I really going to trust God in this? Now, because Moses responded correctly, look what God did. God reversed the problem. In verse 25, it says this. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. God had provided the solution. And notice it was there all the time. But it didn't happen until Moses committed it to God. God had the solution that would turn a bitter situation into sweetness. He had a piece of wood that would turn that which was distasteful into something that was pleasant and enjoyable. And notice it says that God didn't create that piece of wood. It was already there. God showed him a piece of wood. The tree had been there all along. And the problem with, that many of us have 
when we face disappointments in our life is we get so caught up, so narrow focused, we're so caught up in the disappointment that we don't see that the solution very often is right there before our own eyes. You will never see God's solution as long as you're wallowing in self-pity. You've got to pray. You've got to let God show you how through his word and through other people and through praying and he will turn bitterness into sweetness. One other thing. Thirdly, the greatest shortages in life are often followed by fullness. Now we see that happening here. We see God's abundant blessing. Because look what happened after this experience in verse 27. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So they are in Sinai, in the middle of the desert, and then here's a paradise, an oasis. All the water that they could want. Elim, 12 springs, 70 palm trees. It's a place of great refreshment right in the middle of a dried out experience. Now I have two questions about this. Number one, how far is Elim from Mara? Well, I'll tell you. If you get a map of the Holy Land out and look at Mara and you look at Elim, Elim is five miles from Mara. Just around the corner, there was a surplus of water. Yet they're complaining and they're ready to give up. And the lesson I think here is too often we stop too soon. We give up too soon. We get disappointed, we get discouraged, and we want to throw in the, cat, the towel when Elim is just five miles away, just around the corner. I think the point is this, don't quit. Elim is just right down the road, so don't give up. The second question I have is this, how do you get from Mara to Elim? How do you get from the place of disappointment to the place of delight? Well, there's only one answer. To get there, you just keep going. Keep moving ahead. Keep trusting God. Notice it doesn't say that God brought Elim to them. He didn't. Elim was there, but it was five miles away. But they had to reach it by keeping on going, to keep going in spite of their feelings, in spite of, the, in spite of their heartaches, in spite of their disappointments and discouragement. The only way to get from Mara to Elim is to keep on going. The only way to get from disappointment and discouragement to delight is to keep on going to keep moving ahead. Every once in a while, someone will come to me and they'll say to me something like this. They say, um, Pastor Phil, I just don't feel like praying anymore. I, didn't feel, I don't feel like trusting. I don't feel like giving. I don't feel like serving. I, I don't feel like worshipping. What should I do? And we chat and we talk about it, but basically my response generally is always this. You keep on praying, you keep on trusting, you keep on serving, you keep on giving, you just keep on doing, don't give up and die in the desert as it were like the Israelites, you keep on keeping on. Or, or maybe you've been thinking, oh you've said, I've, I've actually lost my heart for, for serving in a ministry. My heart isn't in it anymore, it's difficult, it's tough, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. What, what, what do you do? And my response is the same. You just keep going. You just keep on serving. <coughs> the thing I've learned as a pastor is that God's purpose for my life is much greater than the problems in my life. 
No matter what problem you face, God's purpose is greater than the problem. And so, for example, if you build into people, the effects of that will be felt even hundreds of years later. So it's interesting to me that they've never built a statue to a critic, have they? You don't see any of those, do you, kind of in Westminster, around kind of London? There's that great statue of that great critic. You never see those. Now, they build statues to people who were criticised their entire life. Many of the great saints of God, the Wesleys, the Luthers, the Calvins, the Moody's, the Jim Elliot's, they were criticised and misunderstood for their ministry, but the effect of their lives produced good for hundreds of years. The reality is this. Living in the world and culture that we live in, we lose heart a lot of times in life, don't we? And sometimes we can lose heart in serving. The Bible says, don't lose heart, keep on keeping on. I mean, can you imagine if someone called up their boss at work and said, um, I'm not coming in today, um, my heart just isn't in it. And uh, I know you, want me, I know you want, want me to be a hypocrite, so I'm just going to stay at home and, and watch TV. I'm going to watch Homes Under the Hammer or something because, because my heart really isn't in work today. Can you imagine if you rang the boss up? Do you know what the boss would say? He'll say, I don't care if your heart's in it or not. You get in here and you get to work. Only immature people live by their feelings. Mature people live by their commitments rather than their feelings. They serve in a ministry, not because it always feels good. They serve in a ministry because it's the right thing to do. You keep on going. God wants to work in your life if you will let him. So face those feelings, face those fears, face those experiences in the past and go through them. Go on to Elim, as it were. Don't get stuck at Mara. Because God never meant you to stay at Mara. And it may be that you're feeling like you're living at Mara at the moment and you're feeling things are difficult or, or you feel bitter or distasteful. You're this, this tough time of life at the moment. And it's a difficult situation maybe to swallow. It's like bitter water. It may be spiritually or emotionally or physically or financially. You just feel drained all the time. Maybe you've been disappointed in serving in a ministry lately. Well, I believe God wants me to say to you today, you did not miss God's will. Mara is on the map. God knows exactly where you are. And God is leading you through this experience, just as he led Moses and the Israelites to Mara and through it. And they ended up in Elim. The power of God is bringing people from Mara into Elim. The truth is, great successes in life will often be followed by failure. And the greatest service in life will often be followed by forgetfulness. But the greatest shortages in life are often followed by fullness, by blessing. Elim is just a short way down the road. Maybe something that was so sweet in life has gone sour. Maybe you've been tempted to give up on a dream, give up on, a ch on church, give up on a relationship. Don't curse it. Quit trying to get even with those people. Don't rehearse it. That will only increase the hurt. Don't nurse it because that will allow it to infect you even more. Instead, disperse it. Instead of talking to others, talk to God about it. Give it to him. Cast all your cares on him. And then let God reverse it. God will use it for good in, in your life if you will allow him. If you will trust him, he will teach you and he will lead you through it. 
It's interesting that God's solution to a bitter experience was a piece of wood. I, I don't know why he chose it. I, I don't know why he decided to do that. It was a miracle. But God said, here's a piece of wood, throw it in the water, and it will turn the bitter water sweet. Approximately 2,000 years later, God used another piece of wood called the cross to turn your bitter experience into a sweet one. When Jesus hung on that cross, he took all the sin of the world on himself. Jesus was sinless, yet he took it all on himself so that we could be set free. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what it's all about, you see. You will be disappointed by all kinds of things, by all kinds of circumstances, and all kinds of people, because people are imperfect. But there's one person who will never, ever disappoint you, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. And Heavenly Father, I pray for those that may be going through discouraging, disappointing times. I pray that you would give them the lift that they need to turn to you. People may forget our service, but you never forget anything that we do. There may be shortages, shortages in our life, but you will always give your fullness. Father, I pray that you would help us hang in there to keep on keeping on and to not give up, to remember that Elim is just a few miles away and to not allow disappointments to make us bitter but to let these situations make us better. And Father, we thank you that as in a moment we come around the Lord's table, we're reminded of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us to rescue us and to save us. As he hung on that piece of wood, he came to save us. Speak to us, we pray in a moment, around the Lord's table. And we pray these things in Christ's name.